The Start On Demand. On demand. We talked a lot today about the shared experiences, the shared fan experiences that we miss because the Winnipeg Jets now have something called a sweetener. That's the person responsible for piping in all the crowd noise to make up for the fact that there are no fans in the building. So we talked about that and we talked about how the Couch Potatoes attended a virtual movie screening on Tuesday. What was that experience like versus the real thing? We had our monthly visit with Mayor Brian Bowman today. Does EPC have too much power? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, January 27th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Looks like I need to cancel my uh, trip for next month to Attawapiskat, Ontario, if I want to avoid self-isolation for two weeks, GMAC. Cancel trips anywhere. Yeah, you know, it's uh, something that I wasn't anticipating to hear from the Premier yesterday. We got a late announcement that the Premier would be making an appearance around noon. He came to the microphone about 12.13 and uh, laid on the 14-day isolation period for anyone traveling in Western Canada. Loren, you and I were going back and forth. I was like, ah, well, you know, it's probably just uh, some minor announcement. This is a pretty big deal in my mind. Yeah, and I think it has many of us, including me, asking why now. And I... To be clear, I don't have any issue with this personally or just even on a basic public health restriction level because I think this is something many Manitobans have been saying for months. Why don't we have that ban like we had in place in March and April? And then we later eased it in the summer to allow that travel to Western Canada and parts of Northwestern Ontario like Kenora. And many have been saying, why don't we put that back in place, especially over the holiday period? And so it seems to me, you know this might be not too little too late. It just feels like it's coming a little late in the whole equation of things and all the tools we have in the toolbox. Why are we using this one now? He mentioned, and we're going to play some audio at 630, that they're concerned about all these different variants going on around the world. And so they're cracking down now on any interprovincial travel just to try to control the spread. And it's possible we'll have more restrictions coming with international travel. Trudeau has been hinting at that for a few days now. And so I don't have, I don't have any issues with that. I just, I'm not sure if we have the evidence that this is what's needed, if this is what works, or if this is just more of like, we, we got to keep doing something to prevent this from getting any worse because it feels like the numbers are slowly getting under control here. But now we have that whole variant equation coming into effect. Well, the restrictions in British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan have been very different than here in Manitoba. And I'll tell you this, I have at least one person in my circle who approached me about two weeks ago about the idea of going to BC for a week. I just want to go to a restaurant, man. The restaurants are open in BC. I need a haircut. I'm thinking about going to BC for a week. And I'm like, dude, you can't, you can do what you want, but that's just, I don't know if that's really where we're at here. It's supposed to be essential travel, but you know, there are people who are 
playing with the loopholes and, and doing things because it is something that, quote, unquote, they want to do. And I think this Western Canada travel restriction is probably a good idea. The Premier sounds, Brett, very concerned about these variants. And it sounds like that's at the at the heart and soul of this decision. And he also mentioned yesterday something that's been being piloted at the airports in both Edmonton and Calgary, and that's rapid testing for all passengers coming into those airports. I'm very surprised that with the low number of flights coming into Winnipeg, we're not doing that here. Yeah, and actually, you, well, you pointed out the, the, how people are sort of looking for loopholes and skirting. We heard yesterday nearly two dozen Manitobans were ticketed for breaching the COVID-19 public health order. So, you know, if two dozen were ticketed, there are a lot more who probably were able to fly under the radar. So more on the travel restrictions coming up at 6.37 today. And one of the themes, probably the, the, the primary theme of today's show, is going to have to do with the experience of being somewhere or in our case as it is today of watching something and trying to duplicate that experience so we're going to learn in our next segment about a a new job at bell mts place called the sweetener great title by the way yeah (laughs) what's your job i'm the sweetener yeah i want that on my card (laughs) show sweetener so this is a person who is responsible to make an empty Bell MTS place sound like it's not. So that when you're watching the game, it still feels like you're watching a hockey game. Uh, so I'm, we're, we'll tell you more about that. Global's Merrick DeCash spoke with this person. And then at 7.07, the couch potatoes are going to assemble because last night we attended a virtual movie screening, which at first seemed cool. But then as I was sitting there by myself... I kind of thought, eh, I really don't want any part of this, like a long-term future. Because they've been talking about movie theaters going the way of the dodo bird for years. Streaming's going to take over. If that's the future, I don't want it. I don't want a GMAC. Yeah, well, since probably the invention of the Betamax and the VCR, and there were probably things that were invented before that, uh, technology that uh, was going to be, quote-unquote, the death knell of the movie theater. Movie theaters have survived a lot of changes in technology, technology that we can have in our homes now. But uh, I'm with you, Loren. There's nothing, A, like going to a sporting event in person, but going to a movie, and there are certain movies that are just meant to be seen on the silver screen, on the big screen with the big sound, with the with the comfy chairs that they've put in now. That There's really nothing like it. Yeah, come on. You forgot the most important thing. It's the popcorn. That's yeah. 90% the reason why anybody <laughs> walks through those doors. Don't even kid yourself. It's for the kettle corn butter or whatever the heck it is. Basil, margarine. I don't even know. I don't care. It's good. It's I- glorious. But it's the exper- you mentioned the experience. It's a, That's part of it, too. It's the same with you go to the game. You might be going for the ambience or seeing your friends or, you know, and everything's gone virtual. Even when there were sports for kids, there was talk of, well, maybe we could figure out a way to, like, you know, live stream or use webcams so people can watch their kids play sports. And all that's great in the short term. But like you said, Brett, when you start to think about that long-term future, and that's the way I feel about travel too like long term now i'm like what am i when am i going to see my family again like that like when it, it's just all these things it, it, it was okay to talk about them in a six month seven month eight month window but man it must be tiring for people who are who are living that all the time yeah that's true there are people uh, in this building for example who have family in various or elsewhere in, in canada and they normally would have seen them multiple times in the past year and they just can't do it and who knows how long that's going to last
is the sound of a sweetener. Ooh, the Winnipeg Jets have played four games so far inside an empty Bell MTS place. It may look different, but the team is trying hard to ensure it sounds and feels like every other year, Loren. So how are they going to do that? Global's Merrick Takach introduces us to the only person that's actually allowed to cheer on the Jets from inside the rink. It's a newly created position called the Sweetener, and it belongs to Priya Plastad. It's so cool. It feels like I'm kind of speaking for like the tens of thousands of fans who are watching at home. It's pretty great. Whether it's a shot on goal, a fight, the national anthem, or an injury timeout, Priya spends nearly three hours every game day controlling a rainbow-colored soundboard without labels, pumping up the fans at home and the players inside the building. The team's senior director of game presentation, Kyle Ballharry, says Priya worked for the team last year planning in-game activities, but this year she's up beside him in the press box, cheering on the Jets through every speaker inside the rink. After watching uh, Priya train in the two weeks and the passion she had for wanting to do a great job, uh, I knew we made the right call right away. And... Um, you know, we've just kind of gone up from there. She's taken it on herself to, to practice every day, watch other games from other arenas. We want to be the best one at it in the league. And for some extra motivation, Priya took it upon herself to tape a special picture to the plexiglass on her left. We actually do have a photo of Gabe, dancing Gabe, kind of there to help motivate us for every game. So we really miss Gabe, miss him being here, but he's always with us. Merrick Cash, Global News. Yeah, I bet Dancing Gabe is missing all these games too, guys. And, you know, I think they're doing a great job with the sound. There have been times when I thought, wow, that actually, that feels pretty real, like a real reaction to that moment. And so the sound, I think, has been kind of cool. For me, what is still missing, and by no means do I want them to replicate what MLB, the Major League Baseball, did with those weird poster card faces in the stands. That didn't work for me. But it's still really hard to ignore the fact that the, the reactions, the faces, the smiles, the cheers, the jeers, the chants, like the, the look on fans' faces still can't be replicated, right? And so I think if you're a player, that sound might help, but you're still turning to those stands and being like, oh, I want so badly to see that guy banging on a plexiglass right now. And that's, I don't, you can't duplicate that. want to continue the conversation on travel because if you are planning a trip out of province, you should also plan on spending more time at home upon your return. Yeah, 14 days at home will be the new uh, order for Manitobans because the Premier has announced that anyone who's returning home from traveling anywhere will have to self-isolate for two weeks. And we know that's always been the case for travelers returning to Manitoba from eastern Canada. But for months now, people who are going to western Canada and parts of northern Ontario have been exempt from that self-isolation rule. That's going to change as early as this Friday. And we said earlier, lots of people saying, well, why now? Here's Premier Brian Pallister. After conferring with our public health officials and Dr. Rusin specifically, we are going to amend our public health orders to ensure that anyone returning to Manitoba, including Western Canada, must self-isolate for a period of 14 days. This is being done out of an abundance of caution to protect Manitobans. The variant is not just in Eastern Canada, as I referred to earlier. It is in Western Canada as well. There have been cases already in uh, British Columbia, cases already in Alberta, and we do not want these variants, uh, whether it's the British, the South African version, or some other, in Manitoba. So, now is not the time for non-essential travel. We all need to do our part to keep each other safe. We need to limit 
the contacts we have, and we need to maximize uh, the safety that we all desire. Spokesperson for the province said exemptions will be firmed up later this week for those who have property in Ontario Cottage Country and for people living in Kenora and exemptions remain in place for people who have to cross interprovincial borders for essential work. Again, we will have more details Friday. Premier is also calling on the federal government to increase restrictions on international borders to help stop the spread of current variants and future ones. The Prime Minister has already hinted new rules could be coming while urging Canadians to cancel any plans they may have for international travel in the days ahead. I'm curious what trips people have planned this year. You know, like last year was one thing when we got to March and you didn't know, you saw COVID was likely coming, but you didn't know the extent of it. And so you had to cancel all these trips. And I think most people did, right? You didn't go anywhere because you understood that. But now, you know, as this drags on days and months, I'm, I'm really curious if people will, if you actually booked a trip for, say, spring break or April, May, are you, are you actually canceling that right now? And if you're someone who's out of province, I'm wondering, wondering if you're trying to get home before Friday, because two weeks at home is a lot of time, Greg. Uh, you, you know, you, it's one thing to take a week off and take the kids out west or wherever you might be going, but then to have to plan to isolate for two more weeks upon your return that's a good chunk of time that people just might not have through their work well you know what a lot of this for me is about mindset and us maybe resetting where we are at in terms of how long we're going to be dealing with this virus and how long it's going to be before we can even ponder or consider a visit to Ontario, to Southern Ontario, to California, to Mexico, to Vancouver. Maybe we need to reset that. And for me, this might be as much about messaging as anything else. One of our listeners, our loyal listener, Dawn, said, you know, these 14 quarantine quarantine periods, uh, you know, they're only as good as the enforcement. You know, that's potentially the case. For most of us and for, for most of these rules, it is up to us to follow them. There's nobody watching us. There's nobody tracking us for the most part. So we are on the honor system for our two designated two visitors and how many people you have in your backyard around a fire or how many people you might be trying to sneak into your house to skirt the rules. So it is about the honor system. And for me, a big part of this is about the messaging. This is serious. We don't want to go through a false start, another wave of this. And this variant just makes it even more probable or possible that that we could be dealing with that before vaccinations and things get back to normal. Well, and here's another part of this too. I mean, Dr. Br- Dr. Brent Rusin saying Manitobans should not be traveling either internationally, interprovincially, or within our province, except for essential reasons. So even in makes within sense Manitoba. To me too. Yeah. So that makes me think, okay, well, let's, I wonder how long is this going to last? And of course I'm thinking, well, if I can't travel anywhere, if, if this goes into spring or summer, How's that going to affect what you do over the summer? Like I like to, what if you, or right now, what if you want to go for a hike? Uh, you want to go down to Whiteshell or something and go for a hike. Is that something that we shouldn't be doing right now? Well, the rule was supposed to be, and by rule, I think it was more the recommendation, right? If it last summer, if you are traveling to your cottage or whatnot, pick up the stuff in the town or the city that you live in. Don't yep. be shopping line, in that right? community. Do that, go get in, get out kind of thing. And so that that is further 
impactful on those communities that rely on that economy of maybe their tourists being a tourist destination. There's hotels that are now being factored right out of the equation. You're, you're not, you're just not doing it because you're being told not to, or most people aren't. And so that's a lot of, that's a big decision to make, Brett. You think about just, and you try to think about things that you're, are going to give you hope and to look forward to. And so springtime is one of them. It seems like it's a long ways away, but it's not. It's just six, eight weeks. Then there's golf on the equation. Will that change the golf you do all over the province? Will it change the treks I make out to Western Manitoba? I just, it's a lot. It's a lot to consider now. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Paul Edmonds with today's Daily Jets update coming up at 6.55. But we want to talk about your favorite fan experience right now because that's a lot of what we're discussing today. The fan experience. Bell MTS Place is empty right now. Couch Potatoes are attending virtual screenings. It's a lot different this time around, but... In the meantime, we can hope that the fan experience shall return. So let's go around the horn here. We got Cameron Poitras, Jeff Braun, Jeff Fortier. Actually, is Jeff Braun with us or is he is he there, Fortier? Yeah, I hear Hello. Him. Hey, you're, 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 you're joining us here and in our next segment. Right on, double dose of Jeff Braun. Well, why don't we start with you, sir? Favorite fan experience? Yeah, well, f- for me, it was uh, the 1997 U2 Pop Mart concert at the at the old Winnipeg Stadium, and I'd never had floor seats before, and that and I had them for that concert, so that was a first, and that's a pretty good show to have floor seats for. And making it even better was um, when I got to the stadium, the seats I had weren't there. Instead, the, there's the band's like sound engineering giant station was there and the seats were just gone. And I was like, well, this is no good. What is going to happen to me now? But someone uh, that worked there, you know, saw me and was like, oh, did you have seats here? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, you're getting upgraded. And they bumped me up from like row 50 to row 20, which was amazing for the same price as the, the cheaper ticket. So that was, that was a blast of a concert. I never had seats so good for anything in my life. That was a big show, too. I remember they had some wild concerts at that particular stadium. And it was so cool because you could just walk up Portage Avenue and hang out outside the stadium and sort of listen to the show. I remember doing that for the Rolling Stones. Uh, Cameron Poitras. Um, I I got a couple. Uh, I I saw at, at Dauphin Country Fest... Uh, Keith Urban was there, and and I wasn't a big Keith Urban fan at the time. And then I I saw him in concert, and he was just absolutely incredible. So that was that was up there. But I gotta go we with be friends. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I gotta go. I gotta go with. Uh, I, I see. Like I'm I'm split because the Jets' first game back in 2011 was pretty cool. I was lucky enough to working at a radio station in Dauphin, so I was able to go to that game. That was pretty awesome. But like the preseason opener or the regular? No, season? the regular season opener against the Habs. Um, but. Uh, I, I got to go with when I was a kid, and the Bombers were on. At, they, they won 10, uh, 10 games in a row. They were having just these incredible battles against the Montreal Alouettes at that time. And uh, I, I, w- I was young, but I, my dad would take, we, you know, there wasn't the Jets when I was growing up, so we, I was a huge Bomber fan. And uh, the, the, the Bombers had a huge win, and they beat the Alouettes. And we, that, these were in the days when you could go back down onto the field. <laughs> and uh, I remember going up and seeing Kahari Jones and, and Milt Stiegel. And these guys were just like massive. I couldn't believe how big they were. Uh, they were like this, like these giant human beings. And I remember just looking up at Milt Stiegel and saying, "Hello, Milt." And he went, "Hey, kid." <laughs> and that was it. But so that stuck with me my whole life. So that, that's got to be probably my favorite fan experience at Old Canad Inns. That's neat. Yeah, Jeff Forte. Uh, me and my buddy took a 
bus from downtown, going back to my place one time, not realizing that a Jets game had just ended where the Jets won. And so you have all the people coming out of the MTS Center at the time, uh, jumping on the bus. And, you know, just the, the, the feeling of the crowd on that one bus was crazy. And, of course, everyone's pumped up, and one guy would go, Woo! <laughs> and everyone else would, Woo! <laughs> and it was just, you know, it's just one of those fun experiences. You're on a transit bus, you know, not expecting this crowd to come on and... Uh, you know, it's just, it's magic. I'm missing those times. I'm missing crowds and people. Yeah, I hear you, man. It's, uh, it is weird just being a recluse. I'm starting to lose it. Loren McNabb, what about you? Well, when you say that, it makes me think of our playoff run a few years ago when we had those massive parties outside. And so it was like one of those few times where you were you're almost jealous that you weren't outside with the crowd if you were lucky enough to be at the game because of just the shot of those epic celebrations. And so that was a ton of fun. I think, honestly, I've been to at least 10, maybe 15 different arenas and the Jets, they, they have it down. They know how to do it. But I have to go with a sport that you'll never catch me watching on TV. Got to see a soccer game or footy as they call it in England at the Fulham, where Fulham plays in the Premier League. Oh, the cottage. Cra- cottage. The cottage, cottage yeah. Cottage. It's oh, 130 yeah. years old, and it has there's like beams where you have to step under because it's so low-hanging, and there's this, the section where the visiting fans sit is covered with a cage because people throw bottles at them all the time <laughs> and stuff. I mean, and, 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 the, and the noise is electric, like, this, like the soccer or football chants, whatever you want to call it. Man, I do dig that. Like I, There's songs, and they're into it, and and then they get angry and it's a full day. Like it's not just a couple hours. Like it starts in the morning and it goes till night. And that was a ton of fun. Soccer. Yeah. They soccer yeah. fans in Europe soccer are on nuts. TV. No soccer like that. Oh yeah. Greg. Oh boy. Uh, I, I can't pick just one, but I will. Uh, Dave Ellett's double overtime goal in 1990 at the old Winnipeg Arena, right at the top of the list. Kansas City Chiefs games, Wrigley Field. But you know what? I'm going to Minnedosa, Manitoba, for the old uh, rock fest in yes. Minnedosa, right across the street from my dad's house, first and foremost. So had never had to worry about driving or a dry place to sleep or a place to grab a shower. But when you bring Def Leppard, Sammy Hagar, and all your favorite Canadian rock and roll bands to basically right across the street from your house. How can you go wrong? And the intimacy of that venue, that bowl that they carved out of the of the uh, shore on Lake Minnedosa, absolutely second to none place to see some of your favorite bands. So I'm going with the Minnedosa Classic Rock Weekend once upon a time. And I guess it would be the best one would have been 1999. Text us at 204-780-6868. Your favorite fan experiences. Shauna says she had a crazy similar experience to you, Jeff Braun, at that U2 concert. Oh. But she got upgraded to front row center. Ooh, she went up to you there, too. She's probably prettier than me. (laughs) (laughs) Ackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren McNabb, who are we talking to at 745? We're going to speak with Mayor Brian Bowman, and we have some questions for him about his inner circle. That's what it's often referred to when we speak of EPC or the Executive Policy Committee. It's handpicked of the mayor, and it's by the mayor, and it's often been accused guys of having way too much power. And there's been a review of that committee and the structure at City Hall, and it's causing some councillors to say, time for change, time to get rid of that powerful group. So we'll ask the mayor what he thinks about that and about this growing problem we're seeing on bus shelters with a growing number of Winnipeg's homeless community 
spending the night there, spending their days there. What are we going to do about it? Should we ask the mayor if, if we should change the name of EPC to the Exorbitant Power Commission? Ooh, it's got more flair to it <laughs> than policy. Anything with policy in the title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. What was that? What, what was that third letter? And GMAC, what are we doing at uh, 735? Our friend Murad Atash from The Athletic will join us. And uh, we'll have a discussion with him about this balance scoring, the emergence of Nikolai Ehlers, Adam Lowry, Andrew Kopp, and uh, the Jets' new acquisition, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Where is he going to fit with the team that has four of the league's top 10 scorers? 7.35. And sounds of the game. Winnipeg Jets coming up at just after 8.10. But today we're discussing the fan experience. We've learned there's a new job, as Merrick Takash was just saying in Jeff Braun's newscast, the new job at Bell MTS Place and across the NHL called the sweetener, the person responsible for making Bell MTS Place sound like it's still full. We're discussing your favorite fan experiences. And along these same lines, what's it like to attend a virtual movie screening? The Couch Potatoes have the answer because we did that very thing last night for a new movie that debuts this Friday starring Denzel Washington. It's the little things, Jimmy. It's the little things that rip you apart. It's the little things that get you caught. The Little Things. It's one of those movies debuting in theaters and HBO Max in the United States. So in Canada, it's going to be available for rent for 25 bucks on demand. It co-stars Rami Malek and Jared Leto. And we'll get more into what we thought about the movie on the Couch Potatoes. Podcast is going to be available tomorrow afternoon. The show airs Saturdays at noon and Sundays at 6 p.m. on CJOB. But last night, Jeff and I attended our first virtual screening for a movie, courtesy of Warner Brothers. So instead of watching it in a theater, we watched it on our own homes. And I was saying, Jeff, to Greg and Loren, if this is the future of movies, i.e. watching them at home when they're brand new, uh, I don't want any part of it. But how was the experience for you? Um, it was I, – I, I like that you can, you know, press pause and go to the washroom and you don't miss any of the movie because I've got a very small bladder and every time I go to the theater, <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom. And if I go by myself – I miss part of the movie, and I don't have anyone to ask what I miss. <laughs> and I am the worst at picking my spots, too. I will miss the most important reveal in the movie almost every single time. But uh, So that part I liked, but no, the big screen is much better. And I, I think, honestly, when I review the movie, I'm going to give this probably a little bit of a better review than it deserves, only because, you know... I was just sitting on my couch watching it. I didn't have to get dressed up and go somewhere. So the the bar is just a little bit lower at home, I think. You know what I mean? Like a renter versus mm. a trip to the theater, right? It's that kind of mentality. So I'm with you. I, I can't wait to get back to the big screen, but, uh, well, you know, the time will tell. And I will point out as well, Loren, you mentioned popcorn earlier. I actually went out and bought some microwave popcorn. I haven't eaten popcorn, I think, the last – because I went to see a movie in August. I went to see that Tenet movie. And I bought popcorn then, but I haven't had popcorn since August, so I thought I'm going to get some popcorn, but it's just not the same. I mean, I, I just bought microwave popcorn. I know you can get fancy <laughs> poppers, but it's just not the same as the movie popcorn, Loren. Maybe you need, and I should say, as you were texting us about this last night, I got up, I was in bed already, and got up and made myself popcorn, so <laughs> thanks for that. And uh, 
but that did happen. Maybe it needs the fan experience. If you're going to be watching movies from the home, you need some sort of sweetener for the movies. So like some audio in the background of someone crinkling their popcorn too loudly <laughs> or that guy who's always like, no, no. Oh my God. He did. Here it comes. Ah, like that guy. You need the you need to hi- guy hire somebody you. off the street to come in and kick the back of your seat. <laughs> The movie sweetener. The best is the guy that's already seen the movie and goes, watch this part. No, no, you got to watch this part. I'm watching the whole thing. That's why I'm here. Okay? I don't need the heads up, but thanks anyways. And look, I've I- almost been that guy to the point where I've, I'm seeing something for the second time, and I know something amazing's coming up, and I see someone like get up to go to the washroom like a stranger. <laughs> I've no, almost said, hey, buddy. Sit down for the next five minutes. You don't want to be gone for this. <laughs> oh. Well, that would be helpful. You'd be, you'd be doing a but service. It'd be too creepy, though. I, I just can't bring myself to do it. So, I mean, I look, I see the value of being able to watch a movie from the comfort of your own home. Like, let's say you don't feel like packing up the family and heading out to the movie theater to be able to just stream a brand new movie at home certainly has its convenience. But I, I, I it just felt so deflating for me. Like when we when Wonder Woman 84 came out on Christmas Day, I watched it at home. And at first I was excited. Like, wow, this is so neat. All I have to do is press play on my remote control. Control, and there was a brand new blockbuster film, but uh, then I just thought, oh, this is missing all of the, the, you know, the excitement, the energy. Like, it doesn't matter what movie it is. If you take the time to go out and see it, especially on an opening weekend, there is an energy in that room, and that's missing. And I just was, I found it completely deflating. And the movie was just kind of lackluster. So, like I said, we'll talk about more about that in the Couch Potatoes. But in the if if this were to become a permanent option, Jeff, where you could either go to the theater or watch it at home, same weekend. What do you think you would uh, lean towards? Well, weather like we're having now, I might watch it at home, but uh, nine times out of ten, I'd absolutely go to the theater instead. I miss the movie theater. The Mayor, Brian Bowman, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Mayor, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. We're doing all right. But we want to start uh, with Greg because, Mackling, you've got a question for the mayor based on something you spotted this morning, I think, that uh, kind of highlights what appears to be a growing problem in yeah, our city. you betcha, Brett. Uh, good morning, Mayor Bowman. Every morning good we morning. see it, uh, in particular, uh, the, the uh, bus shelter in front of City Hall, across the street in front of the Centennial Concert Hall. There are people using those uh, warmer-than-outside places for refuge in the middle of the night. And last night early this morning on my way to work I saw someone in a bus shelter uh, pretty far north on Henderson Highway never in 10 years of of driving that route had I ever seen anybody in the middle of the night using that uh, particular bus shelter for refuge cold weather is a big deal for a lot of us for simpler reasons like our cars not starting Uh, what are we doing about helping people uh, that are experiencing homelessness right now especially in this pandemic yeah i mean uh, and i appreciate the question as well as the the compassion uh, that you and and other winnipeggers are demonstrating for our our fellow residents look um we know that uh, um, that there have been acute housing needs in our community for some time it's why we've been supporting and homelessness winnipeg in the work that they're doing um what we're seeing though during the pandemic it's it's certainly amplified in in extreme weather uh, like we're experiencing right now is uh, the visibility of, of those in our community who, who aren't getting the, the support and the assistance they need, whether it's mental health, addictions, and, and other needs. 
Um, it's a lot more visible than it, it typically is, but the need has been there well before the pandemic. Um, we've been working collaboratively with other levels of government, notably the federal government, to uh, to support the Rapid Housing Initiative, which is going to result in, I think, over 90 affordable housing units, um, You know, and, and that work is underway right now. And then the most recent balanced budget update made $2 million from the federal restart funding available um, to affordable housing providers. Um, in the meantime, in, in kind of more immediate, um, you know, yesterday, uh, members of the legislature, council, and even local MPs received an update from N Homelessness Winnipeg on the, um, the availability of, of shelter space um, that, that, that still exists in our community. Um, but definitely the, the needs are, are there when it comes to a, a broad spectrum of, uh, of issues for, for many in our community who are quite vulnerable right now. Yeah, and we know we've heard from shelters on Global News and at cjob.com sharing the fact that sometimes, you know, people aren't coming there because of COVID restrictions or they just don't want to be in a shelter. And so they're choosing the bus shelter as their space to stay warm. In years past, Mr. Mayor, they might have chosen maybe the library or a food court to stay warm yeah. in winter. Libraries are closed. Is there any plans, any chance of them opening up in the days ahead? I know there's restrictions prohibiting some of this, but is there room for movement there uh, in the near future to at least uh, allow for another space? Well, look, that's, that's something that we, we continue to have dialogue with, uh, with stakeholders in the community. Um, space is, is, is one thing, but having the, the services, kind of that wraparound services for people is, is another. And certainly the, the provincial government, who is responsible for health and uh, social services uh, you know, and housing, um, is, is a key player. I know that there's dialogue with the province as well. Um, you know, the, the transit shelters are... I mean, with, at this temperature, those heaters, they don't do as much as, as folks would like. They're, they're not built for, for housing. They're, they're really built for kind of that temporary reprieve from the elements when you're waiting for a bus. And so the approach that the city has been taking uh, for some time, and it continues, is, is to work with community stakeholders like Main Street Project, who has, of course, their van, and there are many other, um, many other uh, players in, in this area, where we're really trying to connect people with the services that they need. And so um, that's something that that work has been underway for some time and it's continuing right now. You mentioned a homeless report coming to EPC. So I want to talk about EPC right now. It's often referred to as the mayor's inner circle of the executive policy committee. And you know, for years now, long before you came on, there were councillors on the outside who said uh, it wields too much power, in part because the members are all handpicked by the mayor, in this case, you. And so now we've had a review of governance at City Hall, an independent report by MNP, and it's basically concluded that change might be required, including to the way members are appointed. Do you accept that finding that change is needed here? Well, you look, I've, I've been uh, leading and supporting the, the efforts for the governance review. I, I know there was an attempt by Councillor Lukes to delay its, uh, the work that we're doing right now, but it's, uh, it's proceeding. And right now we have uh, the, the governance review virtual events are planned in the upcoming month, as well as the, the online survey. And I, I would just invite listeners to, to visit winnipeg.ca to participate and provide their input. Um, we've made changes, continue to look for where we can make positive changes going forward. And um, I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from Winnipeggers as part of the, the public engagement. And, and we'll dive more into the report uh, on, uh, on implementation of some of the recommendations that, that make sense based on the feedback we're getting as well. Mayor Bowman, uh, six years ago, you, you made this part of your campaign to become mayor. You felt that this was something that was important 
Um, why are, it feels like uh, perhaps maybe you're not pushing as hard on that right now, sort of letting things play out. W- would you not like to, to leave that legacy as you leave office in a couple of years? Um, well, look, we've made we've made changes, open data, open government. We've become a leader in openness and transparency in Canada, moving from, you know, t- over, I think we were at 21 in the country. We've, we've now moved to second place in the country for the but open data what about data this specific? Index. What about the specific change sure. of EPC? This is something that, that you campaigned on, and, it, and it's not happening. It's taking more than half a decade at this point. Well, if you're talking about campaigns, in 2014, um, I did make a campaign pledge. We later learned, of course, what the legislative constraints were. And I governed myself accordingly and was then in, in re-election, earned a stronger mandate on the basis of the, the manner in which I was, I was leading the city and leading council. And so I, I think, you know, the, the manner in which that, that I've been working with my council colleagues was something that, that Winnipeggers uh, assessed and, and provided me with a stronger mandate. That being said, the governance review is something that I have continued to support. And I, and I would just take this opportunity to invite Winnipeggers to participate in that process, let their voice be heard, and, uh, and we'll see what changes we can make going forward. These are complicated structures, though, and I think it's, you know, it's great that voters get a chance to weigh in on this. But at the end of the day, you promised that you wanted to see change there. You've had councillors say this this committee wields too much power. You have yourself pre-2014 said there's too much power. So other cities, you know, they have a rotation or they don't even appoint at all council votes. What's what's stalling this change? Why do we need to wait again for this? Well, which are you talking about the governance review in general? Or are you talking about the appointment of executive appointment policy committee EPC, members? Because now you, now you have governance review sure. saying what you said six years ago. So I, I appreciate there's a process here that you yeah. want Winnipeggers to vote on. But at the end of the day, well, we could get the ball rolling now on making these changes. Well, keep in mind, we, when we reviewed the legislation after 2014, it was pretty clear that the legislation uh, <laughs> needed to be followed. And so that's what we've we've done. Um, but the governance review goes a lot a lot further than than just that appointment process. And so I think what Winnipeggers need is they need an effective mayor. And so the, the, the approach that I've taken is, is how can I be as effective as possible in addressing the needs of our residents as a head of council? Um, that's something I take very seriously, and that's how I've governed myself over the last uh, six, seven years. Mayor Brian Bowman joining us live on 680 CJOB for a monthly visit. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for the time. Thanks. Question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Hot off the presses, just published at cjob.com. The question is, are you anxious to get back to attending crowded events like hockey games, concerts, movies, etc.? Your options are, yes, I missed that shared experience, or... Turns out I'm quite comfy at home. So cast your vote, cjob.com. We'll throw that up on Twitter at 680cjob. We'll also maybe put it up on our 680cjob Instagram story as well. Would love for you to follow us there, by the way, uh, if you don't follow us on Instagram. By the way, Sounds of the Game, Winnipeg Jets coming up in just over two minutes' time. But, Greg, I know you just want to quickly revisit conversation we just had with Mayor Brian Bowman. Yeah, and so much conversation not only about this review, Loren, but the current, current legislation because the city of Winnipeg ruled under the City Winnipeg Act, which is a provincial legislation. Uh, It governs how the mayor is allowed and needs and has to do its job. And as we understand it right now, based on the way the language is created in that document, 
EPC must be appointed by the mayor. I think we all agree on that, correct? Yeah, so that's what's in the charter. I, I'm I, I'm still trying to figure out if there could have been an appeal made to the province or if it just felt like it was too cumbersome and not worth it to try to make the appeal because then there's the overseeing provincial le- legislation of the municipal authority. We're kind of getting in the weeds here. I, could more have been done to make that change uh, to how EPC is structured? Maybe. The, the the bigger question might be, could more be done just to allow for more inclusiveness on that committee? Because those who are on the outside looking in have felt for years, Greg, that they don't get enough of a say and that that committee wields too much power because it's all appointed by the mayor. And that's not the case in many other cities. A lot of those executive committees are either not appointed at all or they rotate through or there's no such thing as an EPC depending on right. the size. Okay, so l- let's let's just let's just pretend that the mayor's hands are tied somewhat in terms of at least the formalities of how this is announced. Is there anything that would prevent him from creating a rotating schedule and saying for the next 3 years this is what EPC is going to look like from January until July or you know change it every 6 months or every 9 months whatever it might be and we're going to rotate it and this is what the schedule is going to going to look like he's still appointing the members of epc he's just doing it in a very uh, organized fashion that's a good question and we'll follow up with that because and the reason why this matters to people is that uh, if there are if you feel like you're not getting enough say then you might feel that the decisions made before it even gets to council right because if the mayor and the deputy mayor and the six and the and the other members of EPC all feel one way you only need a couple more votes to get that majority on any major project you might be agreeing upon or any major decision and so that's why people who are not on that committee are, are questioning whether or not it needs that change because they're worried that the, the decisions made long before it comes to a full city council vote. And so it may not even get that far. They might not even get that far. It might be killed at EPC before it gets to a city hall vote. And so it, is there room for that rotation? I think that's what's used in, I, I believe, I want to say Hamilton might have that rotation. I think uh, Edmonton might do something similar to that. I'm going to take a deeper look into that. But I know that there were cities highlighted in this report that said other cities are doing it differently. And this report is recommending change. So it allows for better governance how they do that when it comes to charters and laws and you know all those kinds of things that are well beyond uh, what we understand i understand what he's saying he's worked hard at transparency and he's made some significant changes but when it comes to this committee in a long ago election promise promise it stalled on the day he learned that you know this would require a charter change it's up to the charter and that that wasn't possible as he understood it we got to get to the sounds of the possible? sorry Loren, we got to get to the sounds of the game in a moment here but I, before that i just uh, i got some i actually got some audio from behind closed doors in apc <laughs> That's Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars Revenge of the Sith shouting power. I just thought it was, uh, I just wanted to amuse myself for a moment. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, I just got to read this text from Rudy on fan experience, the favorite fan experience. Rudy says, in 1974, I was walking through the corridor in the North Star Inn, now the Radisson Hotel on Portage, and all of a sudden I'm on the floor with someone on top of me. He got up, put his face and hand out to lift me up. To my speechless face, it was Gordy Howe. I've only seen him on Hockey Night in Canada, six teams in those days, or on Pee Wee cards. 
As he helped me up, he said, sorry about that, fellow. As laughter from behind him were two tall young men in suits holding the elevator open, (laughs) I found out they were his sons playing our Jets uh, and Bobby Hall and the World Hockey Association. So I am honored to this day to have been knocked down by Mr. (laughs) Elbows. Mark and Marty Howe, of course, they all played together not only for the New England Whalers, but also the Houston Arrows. And uh, I think Rudy goes on to say he believes it was Mark and Marty that knocked Gordy Howe into him. (laughs) It was part of a little bit of a prank and and a game that they were playing. What an absolutely incredible memory. That is great. Thank you so much for sharing that, Rudy. That is just wonderful. Any Manitoban returning home from traveling anywhere will soon have to self-isolate Greg for two weeks. That's right. That's always been the case for travelers returning to Manitoba from eastern Canada. But for months now, western Canada and parts of northern Ontario have been exempt from that rule. That's going to change as early as this Friday. Also potentially changing rules for international travel, Loren. Yeah, and so to be very clear, travel hasn't been recommended recommended since the start of this pandemic, but we know people are making trips, and some of that's essential. It's for work. Others are doing it for pleasure, and the Prime Minister has already hinted that new rules could be in place for anyone returning from an international trip. One option might be a mandatory hotel quarantine for air travelers coming back from non-essential trips abroad, and there are other things on the table as well, and so we're asking this morning, do these types of restrictions work? Several months ago, our next guest, Kelly Lee, was asked to help answer that question. She's a professor and Canadian research chair in global health governance at Simon Fraser University, but she was also the lead on the Pandemics and Borders Project, and its whole goal was to look at the use of cross-border measures during this pandemic, and she joins us now to tell us more about what they found. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. Good to be with you. Well, thanks for taking the time, because this is a big question for people. Does it make sense to do these? And so before you tell us whether or not they can work, can you just highlight some of the areas you studied? Was it how many countries were you looking at and and how many different types of restrictions? Yeah, sure. Our international team is based in Canada and Hong Kong and the United States. And we're basically looking at how travel restrictions and more broadly cross-border measures have been used by all countries around the world during this pandemic. So we've got this huge data set that we're collecting. We're looking at the evidence about whether these things work. We're going to conduct three case studies, including Canada, to see how decisions have been made around these restrictions. And then we're finally going to um, look closely at the genomic sequencing data to see if really these measures have um, affected how specific strains of the virus have circulated around the world. So it's a, it's a big project. We've only got, you know, 10 months in, so we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah, it sounds like a massive project, plenty of data, I'm sure, Uh, (laughs) computer power, human resources, uh, heavy and rich. Uh, What have you found so far? Is there anything preliminarily that you could share with us, Kelly? Yeah, there's a few things. It's it's an incredibly complicated issue, I have to say, and, you know, we never really realized how complex it is. And we're also in an unprecedented situation. I mean, we've the number of countries and the range of measures used really never before in history. But what we have found is uh, a couple of things. One is that timing really matters. So if you have an outbreak, the faster you move and use these measures, the faster, uh, the more effective they are. So if you're, you know, kind of dithering and, and waiting to see what happens, which is what happened in most countries, 
then you're going to see an importation of the virus or a pathogen of some kind, and you may be too late by the time you, you know, sort of go to these measures. The the other thing is geography is really important. So countries are all different. Um, People go into countries in different ways. So in Australia, everyone arrives by air. I mean, I don't know many people arrive by sea, but some do, but largely by air. So you can control the borders much more easily. You think about Canada, we've got land, air, and sea, and we're a huge country, and so logistically it's, it can be very challenging and much more complex. So the, those are a couple of things. The other thing is, you know, we need to think about the border in a more complex way in terms of a package of measures. It's not just about, you know, closing a door. It's about implementing screening, testing, and quarantine together. It's not just one, one policy. Would more enforcement help? Definitely. I mean, you know, it's no good just asking people to do something and say, yes, this is really required, but then there's no follow-up, there's no checking. So this is one of the things that um, is different about Canada versus, say, New Zealand. You know, you arrive in New Zealand and you're escorted to a hotel and you have to stay there for two weeks and you're tested. um, You know, people are outside watching. And so here it's sort of like, could you go home? You know, maybe if you're in a hotel, just give us the address. And you might get a phone call, but um, generally it's really um, an honor system. And people may not, you know, think, oh, well, I'm not symptomatic. I'll just go out, pop out to the shop or, you know, whatever. I'll have someone come to my hotel because I'm a bit lonely. And so they kind of forget that, you know, they are in quarantine. And so enforcement is really important because if you don't have good enforcement, there's no point in having the policy. And if you don't have people at the border stopping that. So it's one thing, uh, Kelly, and we're speaking with Kelly Lee, who's been looking into the impacts of travel bans and travel restrictions on this pandemic. And Kelly, I'm curious about the interprovincial stuff, because it's one thing to have someone at the border, you know, stopping people from crossing to and from the states. It might be key to have someone at an airport, right, questioning international travelers. But when it comes to that interprovincial stuff, that that's, I don't want to say it's impossible to control, but man, that's a lot of people moving back and forth. Uh, and then a, a lot of people who would be required to look at whether those folks are staying home. So have we have any conclusion on how that's worked in maybe other countries that have done it? or Because it's pretty new here. It is. Well, it, this is all really new. I mean, in, <laughs> internal domestic travel, controlling that is generally... We haven't done that before. And the, the best example, I suppose, is the Maritimes here in Canada, where they have, um, they didn't have checkpoints necessarily, but they had, um, you know, people had to register to go into those provinces. They had to have a good reason, and they had to be essential reasons. And then they did have to quarantine when they arrived. So there was, you know, measures put in place. There certainly weren't, there wasn't a wall built across, of course, you know, we can't do that. We don't want to do that. Um, but, you know, focusing on, um, really about creating disincentives for people to travel for non-essential reasons is probably the better way interprovincially. We can't um, put checkpoints along every provincial border. It's, it, it, it's, it's not feasible. So creating disincentives like requiring people to quarantine, um, maybe um, putting extra taxes. If you're you know, having a holiday, a ski holiday, well, there's a surcharge for that because it has to cover you know, potential risk from the coronavirus, extra precautions. Um, other, other things that can make it more expensive, you know, and just not worth going. And then people will drop off and they will stay closer to home just, just by, you know, their choice. Professor Lee, I, I can remember traveling uh, through the uh, state of Washington, Oregon, and into Northern California, and them having a secondary checkup, uh, check stop on Interstate 5 asking you about fruits and vegetables coming into 
that state. And so there are situations where uh, secondary checkpoints are created on major thoroughfares in order to combat certain problems. But this whole idea of self-governance and the fact that we're on the honor system here, I was thinking about our conversation as I was driving in this morning. What if you lost your place in line for the vaccine if you were caught doing something? Like, could we go to something, would it take something that extreme for us to really think twice or three times before we break something like a 14-day quarantine period? Yeah, that that is quite extreme. <laughs> it certainly would make people sit up. I'm not sure I would, you know, support that policy. I think it's um, it, it's quite um, it's quite harsh. But you know, think we can we can have various things maybe leading up to that point, some punitive measures. Um, you know, nobody wants to have um, bans and you know stronger rules. Um, but but we need them at this time because of these new variants that are circulating. So there has to be, I guess, a, a range of disincentives up to the point of fines and possibly incarceration. Um, but yeah, I mean, people have to think about a whole range of things. I, I would hope that most Canadians will actually comply far before we have to do that sort of thing. Kelly Lee is a professor and Canada Research Chair in Global Health Governance at SFU. She was also the lead on the Pandemics and Borders Project, which was an international team that looked at the use of cross-border measures during the pandemic. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the time. Good to be with you. Thanks a lot. Now, on the subject of shared fan experience, we've been talking today about, you know, America Cash has been telling us about the sweetener, whose job it is to pump the noise into the, the arena, the empty arena, uh, to sort of try to... At least, uh, try to recreate that experience as though there is a crowd in there. We're talking today about fan experiences, shared fan experiences, whether it's a hockey game or a football game or a concert or a movie. The Couch Potatoes talked about how we've attended a virtual screening last night for the new Denzel Washington movie, The Little Things. And and it, when I think of movies, uh, I think, for example, Loren, did you, you like scary movies. Did you see the movie oh, yeah. A Quiet Place? With yes, uh, G- with that, John Krasinski? Yes, John, uh, Jim from The Office, as I like to call him. Yes, <laughs> with Jim from The Office. That was very, I thought that was excellent. Yeah, so I saw that on opening weekend on Saturday night at Grant Park, Landmark Cinemas. And, you know, watching a movie at home is great. But when you go to a movie theater, especially a movie like a horror movie or comedies, those movies in particular tend to be amazing shared experiences. And one of the reasons why A Quiet Place Part Two was supposed to come out, I think, in April either March or April of 2020, and they pushed it back to September. And John Krasinski himself said, look, this movie was designed, it was made to be shared with others in a movie theater. So we're not going to release this on streaming. We're going to wait until we can do that. So its tentative release date is September 17th, 2021. So I kind of like that commitment that they've made, that this movie's in the can. They could very easily dump it onto a streamer, but instead they're waiting so that we can go back to the movie theater. I mean, Greg, you know, you mentioned last night that watching that Winnipeg Jets game where they won 6-4 and scored, was it three goals in three and a half minutes? Yeah, uh, I didn't do the exact math, but yeah, something like that. And I can only imagine, Loren, I know you mentioned the idea that you're always in the washroom and or or maybe somewhere else. And I think the most famous game was when the Jets, were, I think, were down 3 nothing in that playoff game to Nashville. 
Nashville uh, three years ago, and the Jets scored four straight to take the lead. I think they ended up winning a 7-3 or 7-4 that game. But sort of similar situation for me last night because I went to sleep, and it was uh, 3-2 after one. I slept through the second period, and then I woke up just in time to see the first goal, then the second, and then the third goal. And I was half asleep, and all I could think about, I wish I was in the rink tonight. And I wish I was there with 15,000 or so of my closest friends joining in the celebration, that collective sense of accomplishment that you get at sporting events like that. Uh, The arena would have been jumping last night after uh, yet another comeback from the Jets. So, yeah, I do miss it as much as I'm, somewhat comfortable with what we're having to go through right now and enjoying some of the extra free time that I'm getting uh, because of the things that I'm not doing right now. I, I am missing those shared experiences for sure. And the we're just- we factor. We did it. Yes, That's what we did. Well, yeah. you, you do feel like you're you're a part of like if you're going seeing a sporting event, you do feel like as a, you know they I think they've referred to Greg as the the crowd sometimes as the sixth man, right? To use NBA terminology, um, just looking at the Twitter results on the question, which is, are you anxious to get back to attending crowded events like hockey games, concerts, movies, etc.? And we've got forty one percent who say yes, I miss those crowds, and fifty nine percent who say I'm quite comfy at home. And I admit it too, I'm quite comfy at home as well, but I, I just sort of feel like once I were to get back into an environment like that, I would think, man, this would be so nice. Because I, yeah, I admit I, don't, I didn't go to a ton of football games, but when I was, um, when sales asked me to, to tag along to the Banjo Bowl this year, I was so happy to be there that I think I went to the next Bomber game and I think I ended up going to a third game. Uh, in the last season where the Bombers played. And uh, I, I now crave more. Like, I was really looking forward to the 2020 campaign. I planned to go to a bunch of games because it was just so much fun to be a part of that crowd and to, to see the, the collective, especially that banjo bowl. Holy smokes, that was electrifying. To use the rocks terminology, electrifying, Greg. Well, you know, here's the thing. When I started dating Jackie, she did not like football at all. And it wasn't until we started going to games that she started getting into it. She liked the whole notion of being in the stadium and and uh, just being a part of everything. And for me, Loren, the sport that I could I'd never watch on television, but it might be the sport a sport that I love attending the most is professional baseball because of the stadium, because of the food, because of the people that you meet, the in-stadium, the in-cathedral experience of Major League Baseball and at Shaw Park here in Winnipeg, it's second to none. There's nothing like being outside, having a hot dog, a cold beer, maybe some fried cheese curds if you're in the right stadium, <laughs> and, and chit-chatting with people. It is when they call it America's pastime, there's a reason they call it that. Yeah, you mentioned that you don't watch it on TV. I, I can't stand watching it on TV, and quite frankly, I, I don't really love the game. But if I'm in any city and there's a game on and I can get to it, I'll go. So I've been to Wrigley Field and Fenway Park and Yankee Stadium and uh, where the White Sox play, which his name now ex- escapes me because it, it's so neat to see those different diamonds and those different stadiums and especially the older ones that have so much history to it so i think it's partly maybe the venue like a really solid venue plays into it Mm -hmm. um then of course you have just the outdoor factor if it's a nice day that really helps right so you just you might not maybe you'll be like what a great game don't know the score but man the sun was out that hot dog tastes amazing like it's it's the whole the whole 
it's the whole experience, not just even what's happening on the field. I've been to probably 30 Major League Baseball games in my life, and I could not tell you the score of one single game. <laughs> I have no idea what the scores were. I can maybe refer to a few things that have happened on the field, but it is genuinely about that experience. And you mentioned Wrigley Field. Like, Brett, like, it's the whole thing because you try to go early. Yep. And there's no parking, so you don't dare drive. So you take the L, the elevated train, and you Which take you got it down. In for the to, experience that's in Chicago, right. right? Yep. And so you're going two, three hours before game time. You're you're getting ready to go. When you get off at Addison Station, you get off, and the smells and the sounds. They've got the guys selling the T-shirts, and they've got all sorts of street vendors and restaurants, and guys trying to t- sell you tickets, trying to buy your. T- oh my gosh, there's nothing like it. And it goes right through the game. And then there are all sorts of pubs and places to go and visit afterward. The first time I went to Wrigley Field, I think I was there for 15 hours down (laughs) in Wrigleyville. It did not end very well. It ended with a bunch of Americans challenging my buddy John and I to drink every Canadian beer in Sneakers Pub uh, down on Waveland Avenue or, or one of those areas. So it didn't... It sounds didn't, like it ended just fine to me. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I can't write the ending. I got to sort of... Uh, <laughs> Fabricate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll leave it to your imagination as to how the evening ended. Did you throw up? No, but I had a time out. Uh, <laughs> and, and I did get asked to leave the premise because uh, I was told... Uh, Buddy, I, I know it's been a long day, but uh, you can't sleep standing up there. And... Uh, yeah, it kind of uh, the rest is uh, not for publication at this point in time. <laughs> It'll be in my book. And I mentioned as well uh, that my favorite fan experience was WrestleMania X7. Uh, at the time, I was a massive wrestling fan. And, of course, part of what makes wrestling special to those who enjoy it is that the fans are one of the characters. So they, wrestling, I think, has been extraordinarily hard hit during this pandemic, trying to still do live shows without a real studio or an in-house audience uh, because the, the, the fans are not just encouraged to participate, but it's like they're expected to participate. So when the fans don't participate, that means they know they're doing something wrong, right? If the fans aren't chanting or cheering or cr- coming up with some sort of creative thing to go along with the match, then they're, they're not doing it right. Sure. And uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember being, so I, like I said, 16th row on the floor at the Astrodome. Uh, in 2001 and I was on the aisle seat and this guy comes running up the aisle so like he was coming from towards the ring up the aisle telling every he says okay everybody get out of the way get out of the way and I thought what is going on and he's moving cords and stuff and then my buddy Mike says oh my god they're coming up the aisle (laughs) so this is Triple H and The Undertaker who are two of the biggest legends in the history of wrestling and sure enough their match spilled out of the ring and over the wall and right up the aisle. So I had to be like a security guard because I had to box out my friend and like six guys in the aisle who just wanted to reach out and touch the wrestlers who were like standing right in front of me. You were part of the show. Yeah, and I actually made it on camera. I was just going to say, did you get on TV? Yeah, for like all of one second, I just had this big dumb smile on my face and you could see my arms spread and I was sort of planted like I was Dennis Rodman waiting to grab a rebound. (laughs) Now, here's a question. The Undertaker's hair, is it actual sweat or is it just like some sort of grease that's applied to it? Did it swing by close enough for you to get 
a sense of what's going on there? I do. So it's like every time he whipped it around, I was like, what's in that hair? Perpetually <laughs> sweaty. Yeah. I think, well, I think a lot of times it probably, I don't know if it's oil at the beginning, but definitely by that point, it would have been sweat because those guys were working super, super hard. Oil is what I meant, but I said grease. The same thing. I, I knew what you meant. I think they, <laughs> I think some of them do, yeah, probably oil up, but that would make, you'd think that would make it hard to, to wrestle. You'd be sliding off each other. Yeah, well, hey, that may be an unfair advantage. Maybe that's the wrestling equivalent of the spitball. <laughs> that's right. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.